Hold on, but, wait. I can like barely hear both of you. What the heck? I can hear both of you fine. I can hear you and yeah, I can hear both of you fine as well. Okay. Let me just do you want to pause? Do you want to just like stop it and listen to the recording, Emily, and just like make sure that that's okay? Or, Keely, are you like worried about the recording? Or are you worried about actually? Like, I mean, I can always turn my volume up, but this has never happened before, so I'm worried. Is your headphones in all the way? Yeah. Hmm. And the knobs didn't change at all. No. What the heck, weird. Um, it's probably I'm just like going deaf. <laughs> it's probably because I have all these EMF crystals around. <laughs> <laughs> like at work, my boss will always be like, oh, like Emily's internet doesn't work very well. And I'm just like, that is intentional. And right. like, I like have my grounding band on. I have these. I'll, well, I actually like have them all near me because I thought maybe we'd do like a show and tell. But... Oh my gosh, please. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm obsessed with you. These, like Tesla crystals. All EMF and 4G and 5G. They ground and protect. They're amazing. <gasps> Emily. Yep. Okay, I've been looking at um the like Radius Smart EMF blocking blankets. The blankets, yeah. yeah. I like I just got one of those. I got one of I got a blanket and I also got like the fabric because it's a lot less expensive. And so I'm just like make a blanket or cut it. I'm just gonna make a couple of blankets just like to put under the kids laps like when they use a the computer oh my gosh wait you know those um like fleece blankets where you'd like cut all around yes. the sides and then yes, knot yes, them yes. and you'd like give them to people and like whatever that's like what our children are like going to do <laughs> for like crafting hour it's going to be like emf blocking <laughs> welcome to the fifth element a podcast for people seeking intimate connection with their innermost self through holistic healing, cosmic consciousness, and radical rebirth. We hope each episode is an opportunity for listeners to join the collective journey towards intuition and integration. All right. Um, so we have Emily Yanazelli today on the podcast. Um, our also known as Lil John. Lil John. <laughs> Um, another improv 101 original friend. Another um, Emily. Another Emily. Yep. Um, Emily, do you want to introduce yourself or tell us um, some of the things that you do? You wear many hats. Um, so just, yeah. yeah. Hi. So thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this <laughs> for for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> She's also a Gemini. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about um, you guys having me on here. Yay. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what do you do in Baltimore? What, what's your job? You're a mom, but you do a lot of other things you're involved yes. in a lot. Um, give us the rundown. Yeah. So I, my job is I'm a project manager for a consulting company. Um, and, but I also teach Tinker Garden classes, which are outdoor play-based classes for kids, mm -hmm. like 18 months to eight years. And it's very, it's all like child-led and nature centered. It's awesome. And we're moving online this fall, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of like weird. It's like almost like anti-Tinker Garden, but we wanted <laughs> to have some way to keep the community going strong. Um, 
also, I was actually just journaling about this the other day. Like, I feel like my life has taken a complete 180, like since the pandemic. So, mm. um, that Tinker Garden will be consistent, but like before the pandemic too, I used to be a dog walker and, um, I was in this show called the dinner detective. Um, so those were two like jobs I had, which no longer exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. um, you we love a career change yeah right. yeah and i've got a lot of hobbies yeah a lot of i'm like a, i'm like a serial hobbyist i like also volunteered a garden and i volunteered a horseback riding stable and mm-hmm. i don't know and you like um, i do improv direct musicals yes yeah. yep yep i help direct um any like elementary school musicals so if you're in the market <laughs> any. <laughs> any yeah <laughs> So Emily was in our, um, Keely and I's improv 101 class that we took. And this was the class that, um, we stuck together as a group and still practice, uh, despite, you know, well, we'll practice in person once this pandemic is over, but, um, and it's also where we met Aaron Drew, who was one of our previous yeah. guests as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was that class say, was like truly changed my life. That was like, so trans it was like a transformative moment in my life. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like you like blossomed from that. Like, obviously I didn't yeah. know you before then, but I feel like <laughs> catching, we like caught you in this moment of like the beginning of this new chapter almost is kind of how I feel like you would talk about it. And just I feel like the experience of doing improv for you is very like liberating. Yes. Um, so do you want to talk about kind of getting into that or talk about yeah. that? Yeah. Well, so I know that like you, we wanted, I have, I was diagnosed with ADHD and I know that that's something that we wanted to talk about today. Um, and like I had taken Ritalin for most of my life and just recently, like a year and a half ago stopped. But like, I think back to like that first improv class and mm-hmm. I had borrowed my parents' Jeep and I had like my bottle of Ritalin in my hand and I was like debating back and forth, like whether to take some before class or not. This was the first class? The first class. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And, um, and like, I, I like had it in my hand and I like opened the bottle and I like picked one out and then I put it back and I closed the bottle and then I opened the bottle and I picked one out and I put it back and I closed the bottle. And I like, at that point it was like a pretty full blown addiction. And I was like looking into like inpatient treatment centers Mm. and stuff. And so I like, don't know where this like energy came from, but I was like, look, Emily, like just, you can go four hours without taking Ritalin. Like, and like the minute class ended, I came out and I took a Ritalin like at like nine o'clock at night, which, Mm -hmm. which wasn't unusual for me, but it's like crazy to think about now. Um, and yeah. And like, so I just, I, I had really been wanting to stop taking it. And like improv was like such a huge part of that. So like I made this promise to myself that I wasn't going to take it when I did improv. And that extended to like when I was working at the tech booth at the improv theater. And mm-hmm. I think that that experience gave me like so much confidence in myself, like in being able to do things without medication. Wow. That was like, a wow. Really cool I know. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know it was like that day and kind of that trajectory well yeah is yes. that what led you to sign up for an improv class in the first place or was it just something that you were wanting to try no so I signed up for an improv class in the first place because I was like directing this 
children. Oh, right, right. Play. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't actually directing it. Um, there was like a paid director and she was very good, but I was working with the elementary theater kids and teaching them the basics of theater and like reading all these books and looking online. And I just like, I just was like, I don't actually know what I'm doing. Like I should sign up for a <laughs> class and get like some quick credentials. And so I, whatever we did in class like that Monday, I would do the exact same thing with the, the kids like the next oh day. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Wow. So yeah. do you feel like, um, I mean, this is like new information for me. So I have so many questions, but do you feel like not taking Ritalin during class was, were you experiencing yourself different than you would in normal life or do you feel like it was similar? It was just a promise you were making to yourself or was there actually a change in your like focus or how you had your energy or anything Yeah. Like that? So it was incredible. Like I, not to toot my own horn, but like, I think I'm pretty good at improv and you're amazing. Yeah, listeners, she's fabulous. I mean, the three of us right here, <laughs> this is like the, well, I love your improv style because you're just so it's, it's, I'm sure people can pick up on it right now. Like you just dive into things and you're like, I'll figure it out. Like <laughs> yeah. as I go right. and it makes it so, and you're such a team player and it just makes it so fun because it's just an extension of you and you're just like oh thanks. I'll go for it yeah no you're seriously so fun to do scenes with because you know you're supposed to like always make your partner look good is like the goal when mm -hmm. you go into scenes like never leave them hanging never set them up for something where like they have to figure out what you're trying to say like you would always just come in with so much and like I would always just be like oh if Emily goes out first I just have to show up she'll yeah. like <laughs> yeah. she'll oh thank you guys oh um well, okay, we're, we can be done now. That's the only reason why I came on the show is to get, <laughs> to get some ego boost. No. Um, so I think like one thing that was surprising to me um, was like, I was really focused on the scene and I was like, <laughs> I'm like really good at the warm up games, which is so dumb, but it's like a lot of memory. It's a lot of... Mm -hmm you know, focus. And I think I just like come to this place where I really like believed that there was something wrong with me. Mm. And so to like experience, to like reconnect with myself because, you know, like I didn't take Ritalin my whole life. I was like 15 when I started and, um, and like, we can talk about like that too, but like, I was like a really good student and smart and like attentive and focused before I started taking it. And so I think it just like helped me reconnect with that and just, and like, especially doing the tech booth. So mm -hmm. that's for anyone who doesn't know is, you know, the person who like sits up at the computer and like turns the music on and like cues the lights and you have to like, you know, be paying attention to know like when to black people out or, yeah. you know, it, it, there's like a lot of moving parts. And like, I also got paid for that. And it just felt like, like I hadn't gotten paid for work that I didn't do taking Ritalin like ever, wow. ever probably. And, um, yeah. And I, and I think I just like, I'd come to this place of thinking like Ritalin is my superpower. And like, if I have something to do, like my limiting factor is just like how much Ritalin I have, like, can, mm. right. Like, is it, I would like regularly run out of my prescription for the month. So I'd like time things I'd have to do like early in the month before I ran out. And it was just like really liberating doing improv and like reconnecting with this like infinite source of energy inside me. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Thanks. Oh!
So, um, okay. More questions was, you said that you started taking it when you were 15. Um, and you noticed a difference in yourself after for a while where you like, this is great. This is a big improvement from before, or was it always something that you kind of questioned before it turned into? Yeah. So like originally I didn't want to start taking it. Um, I mean, because like, if you like, interestingly, if you look at my birth chart, Oh, um, like, right. Like, oh. I know. like I'm at Gemini, which means like, which is like already like sort of enthusiastic, but scattered and kind of like skimming the surface of things. Um, I have like a Pisces moon, which can be like very dreamy and, um, like, you know, introspective. And so like, not like really like talkative and, um, I, my Chiron is also in Gemini, which is interesting. Cause like that's sort of like a wound near like mm-hmm. the communication. And so when I was really little, like I didn't talk a lot. Mm. And then, you know, like, at, like as an older kid, like I was really spacey and like dreamy. And I think, <laughs> oh yeah, well, it's, it's, it's so interesting how you describe that. Cause it's almost like different parts of your personality were showing. And that is such a great, like kind of plug for birth charts because it's normalizing all these different parts of yeah. you that maybe aren't socially acceptable or like the norm for how society wants you to behave at certain stages or certain ages in your life. But yeah, especially knowing like the Chiron wound, like around communication. Um, yeah, when I have a baby, that's like the first placement that I'm going to check and be like, okay, what <laughs> are we working with? Chiron is where your sun sign is. And if your sun's yeah. a core identity to see that there's a wound surrounding that, yeah. like as you come into awareness of these wounds and you um, integrate on this journey to becoming a more whole version of yourself, like you begin to see the ways that you subconsciously or consciously didn't feel comfortable showing up in the world as your true self. So when you become aware of these things and you can see the other parts of your chart that have shown up in different parts of your life, like it's an amazing way to see all the all the superpowers you do have innately in you mm-hmm. in these other parts of your chart to heal those yeah. wounds and to then show up as your best self. So true. Yeah. So true. And I think one thing too is like, especially as a Gemini where there's like already a tendency towards like, like uh, split, right? Like a kind of like split or like sort of like two poles. Mm-hmm. And then like having Chiron there is just, it just makes me want to go back in time and give myself a hug and just be like, it's going to be okay. Like it's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Well, cause so. yeah, you've, you've truly like transformed. And I feel like with the fifth element always being about intuition and talking about learning how to trust ourselves, like that was such a big moment. I feel in your like journey of learning to trust yourself mm-hmm. And that was a huge part of improv as well. So it's kind of cool how those things intertwine. But I feel like that makes a lot of sense thinking of your journey. And as we knew each other, as improv went on, doing small things that I feel like represented you trusting yourself more and more and like stepping into that intuition more and more. It's like the smallest things and stepping out and taking risks in that way is actually just bringing yourself back to your intuition and bringing yourself back to just like, totally. I trust myself and I'm okay. And like you said, thinking about your past selves and your inner child and just being like, you're safe. Like I'm good. Everything's good. Yeah. And now you hear, here you are in a pandemic, like thriving. Yeah. <laughs> you knew. <laughs> right. Well, it's actually so lucky. Like I think 
there was like a little voice inside of me that was like, I need to stop taking medicine. And I, like, I think that like, there's this voice inside me that is sometimes, um, do you ever, this is so embarrassing. Do you ever write things in your journal and then you're like, damn, that sounds really good. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I wrote this on time. So to quote myself, <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, like sometimes the voice is like, like the soft sound of a hat falling on the ground. Love that. Oh, damn. Right. And sometimes okay, it's like, poet. I know, uh-huh. right? Rising. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and sometimes it's like really loud. And I think if, if I was still taking Ritalin during this pandemic, it would be, I don't know, like it would just be so destructive. So like, l- let me just tell, like, maybe I could just tell you what it was like oh, when yeah. I was taking it. I mean, in the beginning, right? When I was like 15, I didn't really want to start taking it, but I did. And that's when I started really writing and like, um, mm-hmm. like words just started pouring out of me. And so that was, um, really cool. And I really liked that part. And like the addiction, like kind of like slowly developed. Um, and I threw my medicine away like a bunch of times, like, you know, in high school and, and, and afterwards. Um, but so then I, have a, like, I have a quick question because yeah. I have not, I don't know many people on prescription medication, but I haven't heard people refer to it as an addiction. So for you, was it just because you didn't want to be like dependent on this thing or was, did it turn into, in your eyes, addiction or like, why do you call it that, I guess, versus just being on medication? Oh, sorry. Did I cut out? Um, no, I lost you for a second. Okay. You're back. So versus, versus just being like, you know, like I take Ritalin and there are people that like take medication every day, but I don't think they would necessarily call it an addiction. How did that differ for you? So, yeah. So, and I think that like it, it didn't really become like that until maybe like four years ago, like when we moved to Baltimore. Um, and part of what in my mind like shifted was because um, I started like just staying up really late and like drinking by myself and taking Ritalin. Like that was like, like a really, so I have dreams about this all the time, like in my sleep, like I have a dream that I'm drinking and taking Ritalin because it's like such a good feeling. Um, but like, I really didn't like that because like that was cutting into my life and, but it was really hard to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's part. I did the whole 30 the first time I did it was like to get away from alcohol because I like I just felt that that was really destructive but um but like now thinking about it like I don't think that I was abusing Ritalin as much as I was like using it to abuse myself like I think Mm -hmm. that there were these just like a lot of like unaddressed issues that built up throughout the over the course of my life that um I was just using the Ritalin to like silence and suppress. And, and so like, I think it could be, it could have been anything. Right. Right. But it is a highly addictive substance. And they say that like, that's like, I don't think that it's crazy to say that at all. (laughs) Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Ritalin designed to, like, it's not designed to just be like a quick fix and then like get off of it. Right. Like it's not fixing ADD or ADHD. It's just something right. to kind of like suppress. right, right. So when they prescribe it, yeah, to you, it's like 
interpretive like timeline of like weaning on and weaning off or no so I finally like I found a psychiatrist here in Baltimore and it was after my grandma died um in 2018 that I like started asking him questions about like am I gonna be taking this until like I die like am I gonna be like an old lady being like here's my Coumadin here's my Ritalin (laughs) and and he was like I don't know because like the thing about like prescription medicine is like, it's like, like you don't like as having ADHD is not the same thing as having a Ritalin deficiency. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, I think that that's like a really important distinction to make. And something that I picked up from Kelly Brogan's um, work, she's Mm -hmm. a holistic doctor. I don't think she still has her MD license anymore. Um, But she has like a big program to help people taper off of, um, more like antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicine, because that like, fortunately Ritalin doesn't really like alter the structure of your brain that much. Like it does a little bit, but, and it's not like, it doesn't, it's pretty easy to get off to like taper off of. Like I just threw, (laughs) as we'll find out, I just threw mine away in a special way. (laughs) And you know, was basically fine. Whereas like tapering off of like other psychiatric medicines can be really hard, but like, that's not something that's addressed in medical schools. Mm. That's something that doctors like talk about, like when they put people on medicine. And I think that, um, like one thing that's always bothered me too, is that like these, like doctors like prescribe medicine that they've never even taken. And I think that that's, um, I mean, I'm not saying that they should, but it just feels like a big, ask for you know a patient to like have to navigate that like Mm. interior realm on their own Mm -hmm. yeah well and bringing in astrology a little bit more when you were talking about um the feeling of like drinking and taking Ritalin at the same time feeling really good and you still dream about it like I have a Pisces moon as well and Pisces moon people Pisces moon people have to be careful about addiction because that's something Pisces moon is already a very, like, like you said, dreamy and kind of like boundary less and very empathetic, um, moon sign and can tend towards like escapism because there's so much feeling there. So yeah, just any Pisces moons, um, out there that is like another way to be validated in your birth chart to be like, Oh, this is just a tendency that I, have and you know everyone uses different things to numb or escape or you know any of that but that is also kind of a helpful piece to look at as well yeah Yeah. and most people do know as you mentioned emily that gemini is this um this dualistic sign um of the twins but pisces is also a dualistic sign with the two fishes swimming in opposite directions And that, um, so that's heightened for you as having both of these as major placements, but also Pisces being the last sign of the Zodiac is known as kind of this bridge between the material and and the spiritual world. And so I think that could also play into um, this kind of like, Pisces is just associated with this idea of like transcendence, but also solitude. So kind of like going on these journeys to like other places or like escapism, Mm -hmm. or it's also the secrets we hide is all Pisces stuff. So all of these things, but doing all that stuff alone and like fighting these darker battles and these emotional battles as a water sign. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. being that bridge between kind of like what you're experiencing here, but 
using as tools for escapism to like kind of go somewhere else is really interesting. Yeah, yeah that is really interesting. So four years ago, you start asking these questions to this, these doctors and, and, um, and I remember my psychiatrist said, well, the only way that I know is mindfulness meditation. So I like downloaded the Headspace app and I tried to meditate, but like I, I had like literally 0% interior space at that point. And and that's fine. And so I just kept taking Ritalin and we like tried to like a tapering program, but I would just like cheat all the time. And, you know, I mean, it just didn't, it just didn't work. And so it got like really bad after, um, I guess it was maybe like right before my grandmother died. And then right after I started looking at inpatient programs, because I was like, I need to stop. And there were some, there were some really nice, like, um, inpatient programs with like horseback riding and waterfalls. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, this would be awesome. But then I was like, no, I, you know, like I have two small kids that it just felt extravagant. And so I sort of put that on the back burner and I read at, at the time I was reading, um, the body keeps the score and which is all about like trauma and how the body holds trauma. And then also one other book, and I can't remember the name of it, um, but I can send it to you after, but it has like a bunch of, it just had like a bunch of different therapies that I'd never even heard of, like infrared light therapy and, um, and neurofeedback and like, you know, just like different, just like all this different stuff. And the neurofeedback section sounded really applicable to me. And, um, you know, like the book said that it was used for people with ADHD. So I found a doctor, you know, nearby who took my insurance, who did neurofeedback and I started going, that was, um, like two months before I started doing improv. So I was really like throwing everything I had at it at this point. Um, and the first day that I did, so neurofeedback, how it works is like, they put a bunch of little sensors on your head and they measure the brainwave activity. And then it, like echoes it back, but changes a little bit to see if your brain can adapt. And the first time <laughs> that I did it, my entire frontal lobe, which is like the area of your brain that's used for decision-making and executive functioning was all in Delta, which is the brainwave characteristic of people in comas and unconscious sleep. <laughs> so oh, I was like, what? spent that whole week in tears. I was like, am I conscious? <laughs> am oh my I conscious? Gosh. Like, am I awake? <laughs> like, and, then, and then the next week I went and she did a different section of my brain and it was all in Delta. And I was just like, oh, shit, this is really bad. And finally, like I was, I was working on a podcast at the time and it was like the only area of my brain that was like not in Delta was the area responsible for like auditory processing. <laughs> so I was like transcribing a lot, I think. And so anyway, so I did neurofeedback for like over a year. And, um, and we did some pretty cool tests too, where she did like a whole scan of my brain while I was taking Ritalin and a whole scan of my brain while I wasn't taking Ritalin. And that was, it was like really crazy to see like how much suppression and how much lower brain waves I had when I was taking Ritalin. And so that was like a really big turning point moment for me. I think the first, that I really expected this neurofeedback to come back and it was like, there's nothing actually wrong with you. Like, it's fine. Or, or, you know, like, it's not this, it's like, there's just something wrong, like with me, mm. like just fun. You're making it up or something or you're right. using, yeah. Yeah. And so it was amazing that, that like, I was able to like 
move through this process. And like she, that she was also a therapist and we did a lot of, um, EMDR, which is like a kind of way to like access your subconscious. And we did this like rebirthing EMDR program. Mm. Emily, you would probably love this. Have you heard of this? It's like where she's yes. like, think about the fir- the moment of conception. Like you, you're holding the little sensors that it's like going left, right, left, right. And she's like, where were you, if anywhere, at the moment of conception? And it was just like crazy because like I just closed my eyes and then I like had all these vivid visions of, <laughs> I, I think I was Tony DeMello, the Jesuit priest in my past <laughs> life. <laughs> And I like had all these visions of him like dying and so, and I was like sobbing and I was like, but, but I also was like so early on in the stage of this where I was like, that's not true. That can't be real. I'm crazy. I was like, I almost, Emily. no, I almost got up in the middle of the session and left because I was like, this is weird. This is weird. And she's like, oh my gosh, our Jesuit education out to get us. <laughs> she was like, we can do a past life regression. And I was like, you're crazy. Like, what is this? <laughs> Wow. The way I need her number. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have it memorized by heart, but I will. That is my, the therapist that I do somatic body work therapy with, she went through a breath work school and like the third out of four years of this breath work was all about rebirthing. So she, they did like an entire breath work ceremony where there's a certain rhythm of breath that can um release a hormone that's released when you're born and when you die i think it's called like dht but don't quote Mm -hmm. me on that um it is okay yeah so yeah she was she rebirthed herself by doing this like intense breath work and she was like emily like i was in the vaginal canal like i saw myself crowning like all this stuff and i was like (laughs) are you kidding yeah. I mean, and it's crazy because like you were there. So like, why wouldn't right. you remember it? Or why wouldn't you be able to, you know, and it's like, uh, it's not logical, you know, it's, and, and like, I, I got really hung up while we were doing it on like being able to like come out of it and like articulate to her, like in words. And at one point she just looked at me and she's like, it's okay for you to just acknowledge mm-hmm. the experience and like close your eyes back. And I was like, oh, okay. And so right. that made it a lot easier, but and I remember this one moment too, that was really, like really sweet where we were going through, I think it was like through age three or something. And it was like when I was one, when like a balloon popped and that was like really scary for me. And it was like, I'm sure that probably happened. And, and it's just like really s- sweet to think about those things that were like so traumatic, mm. you know, like in the, con- like just to like revisit it and kind of like refresh and like move forward together, like on the same page with yourself. Wow. Yeah. They say that like when you get really serious about doing inner child work or like that regression type stuff that you have to be like fully committed. Like there's no, once you start it, you have to like really commit and go through it because it's so intense and so commands like your presence so much. And maybe that's why it was something that was so helpful for you because it sounds like there's this theme of like that and improv and things that are like your podcast when you have like a really set focus on it, that that's um, really helpful for you. Yeah. You can't like half-ass it at all. Like today I was on a video meeting and my son came in to ask a question. I like put my hand over my face and I was like talking to him while I was on the video call. And I'm like, it's so weird to like split my focus like that now, which was like was so normal 
all the time before, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. So you were doing, you were doing that neurofeedback therapy when you were still on Ritalin? Still on Ritalin. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, um, and then, and then, um, my, so, okay. So then I started the 301 class. Um, with Justin, this whole journey, like we were there, but we didn't know this was happening, but I I could like see the fruits of it. Yeah. And and to think of like all these people who like are also integral parts of like all of our journeys and so much of like Justin taught our 301 class. That's how we got into astrology. And now I don't even know what you're about to say, but I'm sure it was something (laughs) that happened during 301. So I'll stop. No, this happened like during 301. So my parents, Okay. Let me just back up a little bit. My parent, when my grandma died, this is actually kind of crazy. My, my parents put an offer in to a house in Baldhead Island in North Carolina, like in maybe July or something of 2017. No, of 2008, whatever it was July. And then my grandma died like a month later. So they put the offer in the seller came back and said, no, we don't want to accept this offer. And then my grandma died. And like the day that she was cremated, these random sellers called them back and were like, are you, do you still want to buy the house? They want to sell it to you like right now. And so my parents were like, okay. And I think it was like her energy, like released, like helped this happen for them. So then they bought the house in October. And, um, the first time that I was going with my family was in April. So this like, so Justin's class that we were all taking was in April of 2019. Um, and my sister just gotten married. And when my parents bought the house, they said no dogs allowed. And I was like, okay, fine. So we have a dog puck who's like very awesome and sweet, but he's like super energetic and he's not like, he's, he's like a presence. Like he, <laughs> he commands, you know, he takes up space. Um, so my, parents, my parents were like, no dogs. And I was like, fine. And then my sister went with her husband after they got married and they brought their dog. And I was like, this is unfair. Like, like this, I feel like this whole story could be sponsored by like white privilege and like minor inconveniences. Right. Cause it's like, <laughs> I don't know, just like such a dumb thing to get indignant about. But I was like so upset that, um, I couldn't bring my dog to, to my parents' beach house that they were letting us stay at. <laughs> Um, so I like, it was like one day I felt like really, really upset about it. And it just like kind of clicked to me that uh, like how I think that how I was internalizing my parents' expectations for my dog was bothering me so much because I, it mirrored like the expectations that I was internalizing for myself right? Like that I should be quiet and well-behaved and like not take up space and like be, you know, like docile and like domestic, um, like rather than just like, however I was. And, and so then I was just like crying (laughs) in tears and I was like, I know what I need to do. And so I got my Ritalin and I went outside and I planted it like all over my yard and in front of the tree in the front, um, like by the bushes in the front and back. I just planted a flower called a serenity flower and I buried some near there. Um, and like all over, like all over my yard. And the reason why I did that was because when, 
when we moved to the house that we're living in now, we like did the whole Marie Kondo thing. And I, I had always been like a really big hoarder, but I think the idea of like thinking something and like, you know, like releasing Mm it, um, was really powerful and like helped me to let go. And so I was just like thanking this Ritalin, (laughs) like returning it to the earth in the most, efficient way possible and then I had like a little crystal ceremony afterwards <laughs> Emily, <I'm obsessed. laughs> and then we went to bald head which was super helpful because I was like away from my normal place so it was it was the first time that I had ever been to that house there and you know it's like you're by the ocean and it's and like in nature and like I had a lot of time to like rest and recharge which I really needed and when we came home I swear to God, everywhere that I had planted the Ritalin was like in full bloom. Like the tree in the front yard, which was like a baby tree and literally had like baby leaves. It was like blossoming. The serenity flower was like exploded. Like, like there was like, I'm not even joking, like 50 types of flowers that I've never seen in my yard before everywhere. (laughs) So the moral of the story is Ritalin is a good fertilizer, (laughs) but it's, like, it's crazy. Like, I think that that was like such a sign. It was such a sign. Oh to me. my gosh. Yeah. And, um, and I think like at that point, like it kind of stuck, like when I was doing it, when I was burying it, like I had thrown away all my Ritalin like plenty of times before. And I didn't know in that moment if this was like just another time. Right. Or if this was like a, like a stepping stone on the journey. So mm-hmm. yeah. And that was like on, that was like a Thursday. That was the on the day of one of our 301 improv classes. Oh my gosh, Emily. <laughs> I remember you coming in and being like, I, I just buried my Ritalin. And I was like, what? Yeah, no, we were like, what? <laughs> but now this backstory, like, yeah, makes all so context. much sense. Oh my gosh, yeah. Emily. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. is just so powerful. And of course I have to ask now, um, do you, like, this whole picture that I'm visualizing in my head, like is reminding me of frozen too, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know you've recently watched it. Like, did yeah. you see the correlation of why one we're obsessed, but just like that journey and the taking those risks and like stepping into your intuition, like that is what you were doing. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I loved that movie. I like. I was like, I, I was like skeptical, but I was like, I have to obviously watch this before I come on the podcast. Cause I know it's like hour and stuff, but I know it's really a frozen two podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was amazing. And I think, um, yeah, I think that there's something to be said for that. Like, mm-hmm journey kind of and and like the way that that also like dedicates time to herself right Mm -hmm. like she's not like she's like working on yeah right yeah and you are a mom like you said and I'm wondering how if there was you know that term like mom guilt which I think is just bs because it's a societal like the reason the mom guilt exists is because society is set up against mothers and women largely. But were you experiencing that as you were like taking all of this kind of time to heal yourself? Or did you see your parenting change in a way that like inspired you to keep going? Or 
what was that part of your life like? Yeah. So I, I think like, I've just like spent so much time in the past year and a half resting. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that is been really good for my kids. Like I've just like, and they're old enough. I mean, they're eight and 12, so they don't need me like the way that they did when they were younger. Yeah. And, and like, I've been able to just like close the door and say like, I need to rest you know, and like, just ask for space. And I haven't felt guilty about it at all. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. What a yeah. powerful demonstration to your kids of like, mm-hmm. like recognizing your needs and like advocating for yourself and setting boundaries in a healthy way. And like, wow, you're going to have kids who aren't like, oh, I need to achieve. I need to grind. I need to like, blah, blah, blah. All these things. You're just like, yeah. Love that. Yeah. Well, thanks. 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 Um, but I do think I like one thing I do want to say about all of this. though, I just like want to recognize that like, you know, at the end of like PBS specials, which we all watch, <laughs> <laughs> um, like how they taught there. It's like this, this program is brought to you by friends of Wales and viewers mm-hmm. like you. Like, I think like this story definitely is like brought to you by like generational wealth and like white privilege. I think that there's a lot in terms of like the descent and the ascent that, mm-hmm. that like I right that becomes just because of like my position in life. Like I literally got a C plus in chemistry in high school. And that's why I ended up at the psychiatrist's office. I also like did sketchy things during some points of this, like to get medicine and was like, like if I wasn't a white woman trying to get Ritalin, like it could have ended up in a totally different realm. Mm-hmm. So I just, I don't know. I just feel like that that's something that I just need to acknowledge. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and we've said it before, like healing is a privilege. And I think that's yeah. why we take it very seriously because there is so much, there is so much of the world, the majority of the world that is, just going to be living in crisis mode in survival mode because of circumstances. And so I feel like if you have a chance to take steps towards healing, like that radiates out into the world more, like you can't help, but then heal, you know, your family and heal the communities that you're in. And just you, you then like pour that into the world. So yeah, I love that you said that because I, I feel like, it's so important for also people to recognize too, like if you're in a position where you can do some of the stuff, like kinds of, it kind of is your responsibility to the world to try to create more of that healing because there's so much of the world that can't access that. Yeah. Right. While actively doing work to bring that accessibility to society at large. Right. And it's, it's once you've experienced it, it's hard not to. I mean, that's like why we talk about it all the time. And like, we're all involved in different ways of like bringing this to people because it's not, it's not something that you want to keep to yourself when your life is so profoundly changed and you see that there's a different way moving forward. Like you want to share that with people and you want to make sure that you then start working for justice and for equity and you start to see the world differently. And it's, I think people, sorry, I'm going off on this tangent because I, I do think people think spirituality is this privileged, you know, kind of like 
fluffy, doesn't really do anything in the world. It's just like you sit in your house with your crystals all day and you just like prance around. And I've encountered that a couple of times when telling people about this podcast. And for me, I've never, ever felt that way. And I guess that's a blind spot for me because my spirituality is so directly connected to action because it has impacted me so greatly. I'm like, how can I not then let it infiltrate into my life and change who I am as a person and then go out and like take action in the world? Um, so that's definitely what we are endorsing here on the fifth element. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing all that. Sure. Yeah. Thanks wow. for asking. <laughs> it's such a powerful story. Um, and another thing that we bonded with you about pretty early on, I feel, um, we all have the, the Catholic school background. Yes. Um, along with Erin, who was on the pod before and was in our improv class. So we've had some conversations about that. And I'm wondering your journey with like spirituality and religion and how that has shifted over the years as well. Yeah. So um, I met, I mentioned really briefly before, but I had been working on a podcast I, like before. Um, and the title is This is Catholic. Um, and I, I guess like growing up, I was like really good. You know, I was like a really good Catholic. Like I wanted to be really good and follow the rules and stuff. Um, but I had a professor in college who really like opened up my mind to a more, um, like a more liberal interpretation of, of the Bible in particular. And, um, and so the podcast is mostly interviews with him, but also um, some with an author, John Dominic Crossan, who does a lot of work on like the historical Jesus, which really transformed my, my image of, you know, my idea of it because Jesus was really this like radical. He was this like healed healer who was helping like socially isolated groups of people and like literally just like feeding people and healing people and um, yeah. And so like, I think that that was, that was like really cool part. And then I also did an episode with a group of women priests. Um, I know you think, oh. wait, women can't be priests, but they are. And it's so cool. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> I, know. I know. So how does um, that, how does that well, work for context for people who don't know? Cause in some traditions, women can be priests, but in the, oh, yeah. the Roman Catholic Church, only men can be right ordained the as the like Roman Catholic Church priests. has systemic sexism built oh, yeah. into the system, um, and and like uh, as long as well as a number of other systemic problems. Right. Um, and anyway, so the this group of women priests, um, it's called well. There's two. There's two big associations. One is called our RCWP, which is Roman Catholic women priests. And the other one is a association of women priests. It's like ARCP um, or WP. And um, they were like going back, I think it was like in the seventies, there was like this Bishop, like X, <laughs> whose identity has never been revealed so that he can't be excommunicated 
Um, but he like ordained these seven women on the Danube River in international waters so that like no reporters or any like spies could be there. The and then priest I'm obsessed with. Well, there was there were three because they have to get ordained by more than one, I think. So there was anyways, there was like three, and they all had like different lineages back to Peter or whatever. So it like cross-pollinated. But I think two of them have their identities have been found out. So it's like this one. <gasps> oh and, my gosh, I will find him. <laughs> no, don't because then <laughs> true. <laughs> look at in trouble. Um, <laughs> I mean, not that it really matters. Like, I think, I think the history of it is like fun and like exciting, but I think like ultimately, like it's, it's an, it's a social injustice that the church continues to perpetuate by like saying that they're on the side of tradition rather than like equality for all, which like Jesus's actions like are so clear. It's so clear which side Jesus would be on. And like Jesus did promote women and there were women bishops and there mm -hmm. were like women leaders of the early church. It was really just the, like, it was really just like, like, because like Egypt mm -hmm. fell and like had more of like a relationship with like the goddess Isis and like a woman centric religion that like this Roman religion, you know, adopted Christianity and like squashed women. Like, yeah. You I don't know? think a lot of Catholics know their history. It was, of, it's a very like government sanctioned, right? Right. Like whitewashed version of Christianity. It, 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 they, they molded it to fit their current societal agenda. Right. Right. Exactly. And, um, so I, so I think Sounds like familiar the history and like the historical legitimacy of the Roman Catholic women priest movement is like not as important to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it should be that important to anyone else like seeking uh, more genuinely like Catholic and inclusive place to worship um, than, than the fact that they're actually doing it. And there's like one group in particular called the Living Water Community that I love so much. And they're based in Baltimore and Annapolis. And it's just like the first time I went to mass and received communion from a woman, they like give you the, the communion. And usually they say like, here's the body of Christ. And when I went, they said, receive what you are, the body of Christ. And I just was like, oh. <laughs> Like it was this mind-blowing moment. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before at Mass. This is the only place I've no. ever heard. No, only a woman would like know <laughs> that the body of Christ lives within. Yeah. So it's not pretty something external that you need to achieve or obtain. Or receive, right. Exactly. It's like Oh my god. Wow. It's a it was a very Elsa moment. <laughs> like stepping into your power. You know, it's like you have everything you need. Um, I would literally and, still be Catholic if that was said to me every Sunday. I know, I know, I know. And, and like, I think like the, the only way that I still identify as Catholic is like knowing that there is a community like that out there, because I just think like, there's too much wrong with the church and it's, I don't know. It's, it's like such a big, I don't know. It's just like mm -hmm. so messed it's up. It's hard. And I know we've all... <laughs> struggled with that part of our identity because it was such a like strong and integral part of our developmental years going to catholic school and being involved in church and mm -hmm. ministry and going to catholic universities and things like that yeah but now we all have crystals so we're heathens and so <laughs> it doesn't really matter. now i'm i worship the moon <laughs> you guys did an episode about that right 
<laughs> guys have talked Probably. about that before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Wow. So after me, after like finding out about these women priests, were you? I don't know. What was your journey with like Catholicism like at the time, or were you like? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like just around the time that like the you know, the most recent wave of sex scandals broke. And I remember I did an episode with Professor Jensen at the Baltimore Podcast Festival and about that, like about all of the 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 sex abuse and stuff. And I remember at the end of the episode, he said, if you're like having trouble reconciling this, like you don't have to stay, like you can leave the church. And that's kind of what I did. And like, I have like this personal healing journey that I've been on has also been like a very spiritual journey and, and like realizing that not like that I was brainwashed, but I just like, didn't ever, nobody ever asked me like, what do you think God is? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. like what, like the sort of like, and also like thinking about astrology and like how maybe, maybe it's, it's bigger. So it's not like negating Catholicism or like the spirit of Catholicism. Um, but like God isn't Catholic and God existed way before, mm-hmm. you know, any church did. And like, I honestly like feel closer to like Jesus now than I ever have in my life. And when I was doing craniosacral therapy for the first time, I was like sobbing and we called in like Mary to be with me. So I don't feel like the, mm. I don't feel like like any of that's like inaccessible or that I've like left. It's just sort of like coming at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, and then that's another example like you were talking about um, uh, with like your dog being, not being able to come to the beach house of yeah. like, okay, releasing, like being, having the time to like rest and like actually contemplate and discern like, okay, are these expectations that have been imposed on me or are these things that I actually identify with? And this is another mark of Pisces that we always talk about when people have Pisces placements, uh, strong Pisces placements in their birth charts of like Pisces as the last sign of the Zodiac is the one that carries the weight of all the other stuff that the other signs haven't worked through. Right. And so, so much of what Pisces um, like mission is in this world is to like discern what belongs to them and what they need to release so that they can, lean into who they really are and yeah I mean religion is a huge part of that yeah yeah totally that's so interesting I feel like I've struggled with that on such a physical level for my whole life just like hoarding things and like I literally had I had a collection at one point of like those little plastic strings that hold newspapers together (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh is hoarding like a Pisces thing because I I don't hoard but I hold on to things for so long yeah things that don't I like don't matter but I'm like I need this yeah I don't know well, Keely <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm looking at your chart right now and I haven't read anything about hoarding placements per se but I'm thinking about I would look at the second and eighth houses which both have to do with resources and the eighth house is the house amongst other things of other people's resources and um it's also the house associated with like mental health and transformation and like rebirth and all these things and so um yours is in Sagittarius which is a very like expansive sign Sagittarius ruled by Jupiter so 
they like take in a lot of information and experiences and they traveled to different places and all this stuff. So I could see that playing into just at like first glance of like holding on to other people's resources or things as kind of, I don't know, as some sort of consolation or, um, but those being the things that keep you in, in the darker realms of the eighth yeah. house. So then when you learn to release them, is you catering to your own needs, which is the second house of personal resources, which you have in Gemini, which has an air sign that is all about freedom and not being bound mm. to anything. Yeah. Um, when you like have Marie condoed yes. your life mm-hmm. and kind of purged that eighth house in Sagittarius, that's you leaning into catering to your personal resources yeah. of Gemini and like not being attached to things. Well, and her Chiron being there, like that's the wound. Right. The wound. Yeah. Is- can you? I know that you guys weren't gonna read my chart. <laughs> but can you just like tell me what you make of that? Because like, is that normal for Chiron to be in the same sign as your son? Like, it's like you know how like Mercury like always is like one sign right. away, right? Is that yeah. no Chiron? It Chiron can be anywhere, and so I think it's pretty significant that it's that it's near your son for sure. Um, I have Chiron in the second house as well, and Chiron in the second house this can actually relate to hoarding now that I'm thinking about it. Cause it's this feeling of like scarcity, mm-hmm. like I'll never have enough. I'll never be enough. I have to do more, I have to be more. And so that can materialize by holding onto things or like overachieving or just having like low self-worth, low self-esteem, feeling like you need to prove yourself. Um, and, and for it to be in Gemini for you, that could be, in the realm of mental activity, of communication and your thoughts. Um, but then it being in your sun sign too, like I know you said you didn't speak when you were a kid, like that is so indicative to me of like that just, that wound being woven into your identity from such a young age. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to then not vocalize your needs. So even something as simple as telling your kids like, I need to rest right now. Like <laughs> huge. You have really kind of leaned into the healing of those wounds and reversing um, those things or channeling, not reversing, but like channeling that energy into like identifying what you do need to heal those parts of yourself. Um, and this could also like play in- into um, the Delta imaging or whatever was lighting up as delta of like things not being turned on like when you were pouring all that energy into that eighth house Sagittarius of like material things and other people's things and being of service to other people and being a mom full-time and all this stuff then you know we always look at especially in polarity in the chart so second house and eighth house are opposite each other so we're always looking to balance those polar things um and so when you're pouring all that energy into that eighth house the second house which is Gemini which is an air sign which is of the mind you couldn't think clearly or you couldn't focus or you couldn't activate or light up that energy in your mind and your brain because it was all poured into like the physical world and being there for other people and not leaning into yourself that is so fascinating oh my god (laughs) I know it's so much honestly like it's it's so cool to read people's charts and people that we don't know but it is it adds so much more understanding especially like on the end of someone like reading the birth chart, when you can have these in-depth conversations and be like, okay, this is how that plays out in your life. Like it's not, I feel like people, not you, but sometimes people could say like, okay, well, you're just saying that or you're gathering that information because 
we j- I just told you like more about more about my situation, but in reality, it's like allowing us to see how the puzzle pieces actually work together. And like, for me, that just connected so many dots about the second and eighth house. Cause it's like, you're a living example. And then we use that in like our future. And that's what I love about yeah. astrology. Yeah. But I think like for anyone listening to this, that like, isn't sold on astrology, I think like the worst case example, like the worst case is that like, you're right. Right. Like it's none of it's like true and mm-hmm. you're, you are piecing it together. But what it is then is astrology is a tool for like acceptance and self-acceptance and saying, this is why I am the way I am. And like in parentheses, and I accept that. And this is why I am the way I am. And this is what I can do to be the way I want to be rather than something like a medical diagnosis that's like, you're bad. (laughs) Take this medicine. And every time you take this medicine, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Or like, like, yeah, you, you're bad or unhealthy or whatever right. language you use, but in a way that falls into this category with hundreds or thousands of other people that have the same diagnosis that I'm yes. just going to categorize you into. Yes. Other than looking at yourself through the lens of this like unique astrological blueprint that yes. you equally you. And yeah, I think at the very least what astrology offers us, I may have mentioned this before, is like a lens through which to see the world through different lenses. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't get stuck in these restricted worldviews or uh, family settings that we grew up with, grew up in or religious paradigms or things like that. It offers you not a replacement for those things, but another angle to see yourself and how you navigate the world through. Exactly. um, And helps you to expand in that way. I also wanted to say that um, I had this revelation the other day about your rising sign being kind of like, your innate coping mechanism to heal your chironic wounds and you have your rising sign in Taurus yes which is um traditionally the ruler of the second house which is where you have Gemini and um the second house is where you have Chiron too um and Taurus is this most like grounded earth sign that's all about um kind of like material things but for the sake of like having what you need and like caring for yourself and um seeing the world through a lens of beauty and things like that and so now you have purged your your home and your life of all these things that you were holding on to for like emotional reasons and you have gotten rid of those and you've now filled your home with crystals or books or and this thing this painting of a cow right oh yes we love that that's your little Taurus guy yes oh my gosh yes 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 and things that like bring you joy and like nourish your spiritual emotional yeah. physical self so I mean that's amazing Wait, that's so cool oh my god it's so cool yeah because it's like <laughs> you're the stars like innately built things into yeah you to help you in these areas that are more tricky, right? But it's never about you not being enough or you being incapable of doing the work or healing or things like that. It's like, no, like here are some things that might be a little tricky or hard to navigate, but here are all the things that I have to navigate the world. Yeah. yeah. And people can be really scared to look through a different lens. Yes. Um, we're seeing that now in our current climate more than ever. <laughs> but I mean, once you've once you've developed a place in yourself where you are like, I'm safe, I'm okay, I'm secure, you start working on that with that inner child. Nothing, you know, someone could tell me that 
they are convinced the sky is red and they will like never hear otherwise and they're gonna fight me on it and I will just be like okay because I know the sky is blue like the way I see it is the sky is blue and I'm not gonna like lose sleep over that yeah yeah and I I just yeah hearing you talk about this and knowing all three of us have dabbled with our like religious identities and coming out of those sorts of communities it's it's so interesting seeing it as okay do you have an inner sense of security and an inner sense of your intuition or are you just like this wrecking ball that just needs everyone to believe exactly what you believe so they feel secure and like for you i i hear this like developing of inner security which i think allowed you to really open your mind and and look at that book and be like neurofeedback therapy like that sounds good rather than just like your whole life just being like, oh, nope, the doctor said I need to do this and I can't think outside the box or what are people going to think or am I going to lose friends or what am I going to be like, you know, yeah, losing identities. But um, developing that inner security and that intuition is so important. And you did it. It is. Or you're doing it. I'm doing it. I think, I think that that's like one thing too is that I've realized is like at a certain point, I just decided like, I really need to stop taking Ritalin and, but like, I kept taking it, but I just like in my heart, I knew that it was going to happen. And, and so like, I just kind of clung to that. Like it's, I think that there, that it's a hard balance. It's like, you want to already be perfect or be at the goal or whatever, but it's sort of just like accepting what it, what it is now, but not letting go of that goal, you know? like mm-hmm. having two hands on mm-hmm. it. Mm. The yeah. Gemini Pisces yes. polarity duality. Love that. Oh my oh. God. <laughs> Good thing I've got two hands. <laughs> Gemini Gemini rules over the hands, the extension of the heart. Gemini's know that. all about the hands. Yeah. That's so interesting. Amazing. Well, Emily, where can people connect with you, find you? Can they still listen to this podcast? I know. I think so. I was very, um, I was, I was very perfectionistic about it and I only produced like five episodes, but I think that they're all really fascinating and have a lot of good insights and are worth listening to. So I think you can still find it wherever you find podcasts. It's just called This is Catholic. It's like a little brown circle is the logo with a bunch okay. of dots. And um, I'm occasionally on Instagram. I just took a little break. <laughs> Much needed. Yeah. <laughs> I need that. Um, awesome. Amazing. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being here. So good to catch up with you. And you too. I can't wait to chat more. Okay. Bye. Bye.